Hey, it's great to see everybody this morning as we're worshiping our Lord and Savior. Um, imagine that you got to spend Christmas with my family. And uh, one of the things we do in our family on Christmas morning is we open presents like a lot of families. Here's the way we do it. Uh, the first opening is, uh, takes about 30 minutes. It involves about 40 presents and it's all for my grandson, Shep. <laughs> then we eat breakfast and then the adults open their gifts and it's dull. Because what we do is we hand out, you know, we hand out, everybody's got their own stack of gifts, and um, <clears throat> then we go around one by one by one, so we can all see what everybody got, you know, <laughs> I'm just going, let's open the gifts already. I'm kind of in the Shep camp, not so much in the adult camp. Well, just imagine that you're with us, and you get to open up the gifts that, that are there for you, and we come around, everybody's opened the gifts, and you have one last gift, one last gift. And we say, open it, open it, open it, and you say, no, I don't think I want to. What would we think about you? That you're weird. Because it's kind of weird to have a gift that you don't open, right? And, and we would urge you on and say, no, no, I, I don't want to open it. I don't know what's in there. You might have given me soap on a rope. Now, see, a lot of you don't even know what soap on a rope is. It was a gift that was big in the 70s. They would give you soap on a rope. And it was supposed to be cool. And I can tell by now sharing that story that it's not because I'm looking at the students down there and they're just going, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor Clay? So anyway, you decide you don't want to open the gift and you just put the gift aside. It'd be a shame to have a gift and never open it, right? I think a lot of Christians have a gift from God and they never open it. See, when, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you were saved, you have the gift of salvation. That's the gift of grace. That is what now means you're following Jesus. But instantaneously, you also receive not just the gift of salvation, but you receive a spiritual gift. The Greek word for this is charismata. Charis, which means grace. Mata, which means gift. It is a grace gift. It's not something you deserve, not something you earn. It's something God chooses to give to you. And every one of you who are a follower of Jesus, you have at least one, probably two or three significant gifts from our Heavenly Father. And I think that's why a lot of people are frightened to open this gift, the charismata, the gift from God. Because if you open it, then you have to make a decision. Do I use it for God? Or do I say that gift scares me and I don't want to use it and put it aside. So let me ask you this. This is kind of the question that's going to frame up our thinking. What is healthier? Is it healthier to be served or to serve? Now let's acknowledge there is a time that comes in everyone's life where you need to be served. But if you really want to expand your soul, if you really want to grow your life, you need to learn how to serve. Now think with me. If you learn how to serve people, it will expand your ability to relate to others. If you learn how to serve others, it will actually help you be healthier in your body. Interesting studies showed that serving helps your blood pressure go down. If you learn to serve, you will learn how to think differently and feel differently about yourself, and you will learn to make better decisions. Serving is the way you expand your soul. 
We are in this series called Go Share, and today we're going to talk about what it means to serve with our spiritual gifts. So if you have a Bible, take it and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. And this passage teaches us how to know ourselves first, then gives us seven broad categories of spiritual gifts, one or more of which you have. So let's dive into the first section. Starting in verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So Paul starts by saying, hey, according to the grace given to me, he's talking here in two dimensions. First, he's talking about the gift of salvation, the grace gift that comes when you accept Jesus Christ. And then he's going to talk about the specific gifts that are given as spiritual gifts. Now at Alice Drive, we believe everyone has a purpose. None of you are here by accident. God has made you, you for a reason. And you may not have discovered the reason God made you because you've never actually discovered Jesus. You may know a lot about Jesus, but you're not following him. You are not actually embracing his gift of salvation. You've never done that. And you're not setting your life in his direction. Therefore, you don't know what's in the box. You're leaving it unopened, neglected, and ignored. So if you have not yet decided to follow Jesus, that's your first steps. Jesus will make your life better, and he will make you better at life. So find your purpose, follow Jesus, and find out how large your soul can grow. Now having set that background, Paul is going to teach us five things about knowing ourselves. And the first one is know yourself. Know yourself. Uh, He says, do not think beyond yourself or more highly of yourself But think about yourself soberly. In other words, think about yourself with some integrity. Most of us don't know what motivates our behavior. Most of us do not think about ourselves. We just react in life. But think about it, it makes sense. You're never going to discover your purpose until you actually think about it. I asked a man one time why he did what he did. And he said, well, I did this because my dad did this. And I said, well, why did your dad do it? He said, well, because his dad did it. Well, why did your grandfather do it? Because his father did it. And I said, did you ever think maybe you were supposed to be something else? See, you actually have to think to discover your purpose. Most of us overestimate our ability to understand ourselves. The Gallup organization did a poll of Protestant ministers in the United States And they discovered that 90%, 90% of Protestant pastors believe they're in the top 20% of preachers. 
Guess what? Even pastors don't know themselves. We can overestimate ourselves. This is why being in a group matters, because you need to be in a circle where people can say, hey, have you thought about it this way? This is why you need a 3 a.m. friend to tell you the truth, to tell you the truth about yourself, to help you think soberly with judgment about you. So the first thing is, know yourself. Second thing Paul wants you to understand, accept yourself and your giftedness. God made you the way you are for a reason. You are not an accident. God gave you gifts, a sense of time and place for a purpose. God made you who you are and you need to accept that and accept how you are gifted. Often people suffer from what I call gift envy, particularly if you do not have platform gifts. If you're not gifted in teaching, you may say, boy, I wish I could speak like him. Or maybe you don't have the gift of being able to lead worship. You say, boy, I could, wish I could sing like those guys, play an instrument like those guys. What we wind up doing is focusing on what we don't have. And I actually know people who spend tremendous amounts of energy trying to improve spiritual gifts they don't have. That doesn't make any sense. Peter Drucker well-known management guru and Christian said this, build on islands of health and strength. In other words, find out what you can do, how you are gifted, and focus on that. The third thing Paul wants us to understand is your spiritual gift comes from God. Now, I don't need to explain this in detail because it's fairly obvious. God wants you to have a specific spiritual gift. He has gifted that to you. It comes from God. You did not earn it. It is grace. Fourth thing Paul wants you to know is that faith expands your gift. Think about it, this makes sense. If I have, say for example, a spiritual gift of serving, the more faith I have, the larger I will see, the greater I will see opportunities to use that gift as my faith increases. Um, In verse three, we're told that this gift is to be used according to the measure given to you, according to the faith you have. Now, I, I want you to understand this latter as an example. So everybody starts life here. We don't know Jesus. We don't know we even have spiritual gifts. Many people go all the way through life never knowing they have a purpose. So once you are saved, once you actually believe in Jesus and start following him, you realize you have a calling, a purpose. You begin to become aware of spiritual gifts. You actually learn a little bit more about it in the Bible. That's the third rung. You begin to discover, hey, there is something I can do You actually experiment, you use that gift, and then as you get maturity, you're able to use that gift more and more and more. And finally, you get up to the fourth rung, which I'm not going to go up on, and your faith overcomes your fear. (laughs) Savor the irony, I'm not going to the fourth rung. But you begin to trust God and your spiritual gifts more than you trust your fears. Here's my question, which rung of the ladder are you on? Hey, if you're here, third rung, fourth rung, good for you. You are maturing in your faith, you have learned your giftedness, you're applying it. 
hey, if you're down here on second rung, you're actually experimenting, you're discovering. Best way to understand your spiritual gift is to use it. If you're down here on the first rung, and you say, well, I'm saved, but this whole idea of having a spiritual gift, that's new to me. Okay, then guess what you need to do? You need to move over to the second rung and to the third rung. And yes, even to the fourth rung. Because eventually, you're gonna get to experience what life is like, living by faith, not controlled by fear, anxiety, all the other phobias that happen in our lives. Which rung are you on? Faith expands your gift. And, and maybe one of the things that you actually need to embrace is praying a prayer that goes something like this, Heavenly Father, grow my faith. Pray that prayer. Heavenly Father, grow my faith. All right, last thing Paul wants us to know about knowing ourselves. Your spiritual gifts are to help the church body function. In verses four and five, he drives this home. He says, you are believers, so you're part of the body of Christ. Now let me pause here and just make sure we all understand. There are people who think that they can do Christian life alone. They don't need the church, they don't need to participate, they don't need a group. The Bible never teaches this, never. You are to be connected to the body of Christ. Now what happens if you choose not to be connected? The body doesn't function as it's designed to function. And you don't function as you're designed to function. So most of you know I had knee replacement surgery back first of the year. And before I had replacement, my hurting, non-functioning knee defined my life. It defined my relationships. I had to say to my grandson, Papa can't get down on the floor to play because then Papa can't get up. My body hurt. I would lay down at night, my knee would throb. And then I also learned that it affected how I thought about myself. It would hurt and I think I'm becoming old. And then it affected how I felt. I'm becoming grumpy. Therefore, I'm becoming a grumpy old man. And then it affected the decisions I was making. I can't go there. I can't do that. I can't make that step. I can't walk that walk. One part of the body that doesn't function impacts the whole body. If you are not functioning with your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, the whole body is affected. But I want to tell you something else. I had knee replacement surgery. Great surgeon, great team, great therapists. When they did the surgery on me, you know where they started? They had to cut out my old knee. They did it with a saw. I was glad I was asleep. They tell me there's a YouTube video of how they do it. I don't want to watch it. Now here's a question I never ask, and I don't want to know the answer. What did they do with my old knee? I don't know. It may be in a lab at MUSC somewhere where they use it as an example. This is what a non-functional knee looks like. 
If you are not functioning in the body of Christ the way you were designed to function, you're pretty useless. You're not gonna live out your purpose. Now, I'm gonna tell you the good news because God is not quite like the surgeons. He can actually take the old knee, make it healed, put it back in. If you have been separated from the body of Christ, if you're not serving, you're not using your gift, God can take it and he can put it back in and make you useful again. Now, having laid out this groundwork of these five big ideas about knowing yourself, Paul now is going to move into the second part of his teaching, and he's going to give us seven broad categories of spiritual gifts. I believe you can put every other spiritual gift in the New Testament under one of these categories. So let's dive in the last part of verse 6 and talk about the first gift. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. People have the wrong idea about prophecy. They think prophecy is being able to tell the future. No, prophecy is having insight into the ways of God. Prophets are people who can see what God is doing and encourage others to join God's work. Deborah in the Old Testament is a prophet. She sees that God has a plan for overthrowing the oppressors. Isaiah is a prophet. He sees God is coming to judge the nations. In the New Testament, John the Baptist is a prophet. He sees that Jesus is the coming Messiah. And if you have this gift, God will show you what he is doing and you will be able to articulate it. I have a friend, David. He's a chemistry professor. He has the gift of prophecy. David stopped by my office one day and said, I have a message uh, for you. I've been pressed by God to tell you something. That's always a little scary. And David said, I feel impressed to tell you that you are in the presence of the Father's heart. Now, I knew that was a message from God for two reasons. Number one, it was consistent with Scripture. And number two, it was a message I needed to hear at that time, that day, because of what was going on in my life. So if you have the gift of prophecy, what should you do? Share the ways of God. And, and notice how Paul says that do this in accordance with your faith. In other words, as your faith grows, you're going to be able to see farther into the ways of God. So grow your faith. More of you have this gift than you think. So if you have the gift of prophecy, prophesy. Paul goes on now in verse 7. He says, if it is serving then what should you do? You should serve. If it's, you have the spiritual gift of serving, then serve. My experience is this is the number one spiritual gift God gives to people, the gift of service. It must be because God needs a lot of servants to get his work done. A servant sees what needs to be done and then does it. People who serve in kids' ministry they have the gift of service. People on our fit team, gift of service. People who work in the kitchen, gift of service. People who help us with maintenance, gift of service. So many others. One of the best servants of Jesus Christ I ever knew was a man who was part of our church. Some of you may remember him. His name was Forrest Dupree. Forrest taught immigrant teachers how to drive. He did widow's taxes. He did the laundry for a paraplegic. 
There was a mentally ill woman who had his number and she would call him at two o'clock in the morning and say, Forrest, I'm sick and I need to go to the hospital. And he would take her. He saw what needed to be done and he did it. And one day I asked him for advice. I said, Forrest, I'm having trouble with my sprinklers. Can you take a look and tell me what to do? I just wanted him to tell me what to do. And when I came home that night, Forrest had poured a concrete floor for my, my sprinkler pit and he had engineered my sprinklers in a brand new way. He had bricked the sides and given me a metal cover. I have the best sprinkler manifold in Sumter. Forrest was a servant. So if you have the gift of service, what should you do? You should, you should serve. And then Paul says, if it's teaching, then what should you do? You should teach. To teach is to explain God's word. A good teacher brings clarity. Now, if you have this spiritual gift, you know how to bring clarity to what God's word says. You help it come alive for people. Now, here's a warning. If you have this gift, don't add to what God's word says. I've seen a lot of teachers have the gift of teaching, ruin their gift by then going on and giving opinion instead of God's word. We talked last week about the Great Commission, about making disciples. A disciple is an apprentice. An apprentice sees what the master does and then does it. That is a teacher. The best teachers show you how to do something. My first teacher about the Bible was my mother. When I was a little boy, very little, three, four years old, she would have me sit in her lap and she would read me a Bible story out of a book of Bible stories that was hers when she was a little girl. And my mother read with inflection and she read things that were not on the page, I discovered later. She wasn't adding to God's word, she was just making it come alive. So the story in the book might go something like, and David took a rock and he put it in his slingshot and he slung the slingshot and he released it and it went and hit Goliath in the middle of the head and the Goliath died. Woo. My mother would tell the story like this. And David bent down. He picked up a stone. He put it in his slingshot. And he began to twirl it and twirl it and twirl it and twirl it. If you're three years old, this is exciting. And twirl it. And then he released it. And that rock went flying. It went flying through the sky. And then it landed smack dab in the middle of Goliath's head. Smack dab is in the Hebrew. It's in the original. Smack dab in Goliath's head. And Goliath's eyes rolled back in his head and he opened his arms and he fell back. Whoo, boom. Dead as a doornail. My mother made the Bible come alive for me. That's what a good teacher does. So if you have the gift of teaching, what should you do? You should teach. And then Paul says in verse eight, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. So if you have the gift of encouragement, what should you do? You should encourage. No, we're conjugating verbs and some of you are like, ooh. All right, the Greek word for encouragement is periklon. It means to call towards. It means to say, you can do this. Push up, you can do this. 
an encourager sees where you are and sees where you need to be and urges you forward. In the Greek army, there was an officer called a paraclete, paraclon, paraclete, you see the relationship. relationship. And so the paraclete would run behind the front line of the soldiers and he would give orders from the generals, move up, move up, move up. Hey, left side, hold back a little bit. Right side's got to catch up with you. And he would shout encouragement. He would say, we've got him on the run. You can go, you can do this. Go, 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 go. Wouldn't it be nice to have somebody like that in your life? Think about some people who need encouragement. I was talking with a student one time. The student said, you know, there's really nobody in my life who tells me I'm doing a good job. I think that student needs encouragement. What about somebody who's sick chronically? Cancer. Think they need encouragement? What about somebody who's going through a difficult time in their marriage? It's not something we talk about, right? Because when we say, how's everything going at home? What are we all programmed to say? Fine, we just had a fight and stayed up till three in the morning, but we're good. You need some encouragement. That again is part of the reason you need to be in a group where you can be honest. Hey, here's what I've learned. Parents of preschoolers need encouragement. Parents of children need encouragement. Parents of teenagers need encouragement. Parents of adult children need encouragement. Parents in general need encouragement. If you've got the gift of encouragement, encourage. I had a great friend named Larry Crowley. Some of you may remember him. Larry used to leave messages on my voicemail, usually time-stamped about 4.30 or 5 in the morning. Now, Larry knew I wasn't up. (laughs) But Larry would, I can still hear his voice. He would say, Clay, I just want you to know God loves you and so do I. I want you to know I love you and I love your family. And he would say, he would always say, that was a mighty good sermon Sunday. It was very powerful. Even if the sermon sucked, he would say that. And then, and then Larry would always finish with God loves you and so do I. Larry passed away not too long ago. I really miss him because everybody needs an encourager. And if you have the spiritual gift of encouragement, what should you do? You should encourage. Now, the next thing Paul's gonna talk about is giving. If it is giving, then give generously. You'll notice Paul breaks his pattern, right? This is not if you have the gift of encouragement, encourage. This is not if you have the gift of teaching, teach. This is if you give, give generously, if that's your spiritual gift. So we need to be clear about something. Some people, like me, do not have this gift. Every time I take a spiritual gifts inventory, my gift of giving comes up usually with a score of zero. Some, I've actually moved it up to one. <laughs> Thank you. Spiritual growth. That means I don't have to give anything, right? You look confused. Okay, because even if you don't have the spiritual gift of giving, you still need to give. You still need to give 10%. You need to tithe. That is a discipline you need. But some people have the discipline of the gift to be able to do this, and it's joyous for them. And that's why Paul breaks the pattern. He uses a word here when he says give generously. It means to give freely without expectation of reward or recognition. The gift of giving 
is not tied to the amount you give. Some of the most generous people I know are people with very limited means, but they share with those in need. If somebody comes to me and says, preacher, I don't like the way the church is spending my money, I instantly know they don't have the gift of giving. I contrast that with a man you may know of, Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy founded Chick-fil-A. When Truett Cathy founded Chick-fil-A, he didn't have a lot. He'd been in business for 19 years, and yes, he had reached some prosperity, but he wasn't a wealthy man. But as God blessed him through Chick-fil-A, he continued to tithe to his church, First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. He had a special heart for fifth and sixth graders. He taught for over 40 years, fifth and sixth grade boys at his home church. God also gave him the gift of patience. And Truett founded uh, camps for kids called wind-shaped camps. He funded scholarships. He made places of refuges, refuge for ministers who were burned out. I don't know, some of you are thinking, well, if I was true at Kathy and I owned Chick-fil-A, I could be generous too. Before there was Chick-fil-A, Truett had a restaurant called the Dwarf House in Hapeville, Georgia. And they worked six days, 24 hours a day. And when they finally came to Sunday, they closed the restaurant and he went into the cash register before he went to church and he counted the cash in the cash register and he gave 10% of that. He was generous when he had nothing. And can I just go ahead and, and share this with you? So I should come to 11 o'clock service because I forgot to say this in the other two. Never lie to yourself and say, I'll be generous one day if you're not willing to be generous now. Generosity grows. So start now. Now, let's go on. There's two more gifts. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Again, Paul breaks the pattern. To lead means that you are willing to go to the head of the line and say to a group of people, let's go from here to there because as we make this journey, we will take a next step toward Jesus. And if you do this, do it diligently. Do it with energy. Nobody wants to follow a burned out leader. And if you don't have that energy, but you have this gift, ask God for help. Ask God to fill you up. Uh, I, I knew a woman named Kathy who was, had great gifts of leadership. She was in the corporate world. She managed multi-million dollar budgets, hundreds of people. But there was a restlessness in her heart. And there was a job opening at her church. And so she resigned from her job and took the job at the church, took an 80% salary cut. How's that for faith? And never, ever, she said, had she felt so fulfilled because she was finally on a stage big enough for her leadership gift. Instead of being in the corporate world and being told, no, you can't do that, no, you can't say that, she was on a stage where she was able to say, hey, if it brings cl people closer to Jesus, we can do it. She found her purpose. Last one, last one. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So if you have the gift of mercy, you extend undeserved kindness and care to those in need. And Paul says, do this cheerfully. And that makes sense. I mean, after all, if you're in the hospital, 
Do you want a grumpy nurse? No, no slam on nurses, but let's face it. Like Colin Powell says, a cheerful nurse is a force multiplier. If you have this gift, you can be with people in crisis, even if the crisis is one they made themselves. In the Bible, the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan had the gift of mercy. He cared for someone who was in a crisis and he made sure that person's need was met. A woman I know has this gift. And um, for several years, she worked with students. Uh, she taught juniors and seniors in high school. And she was, uh, teaching was not her, her really her first or lead gift, but she had the gift of mercy like you wouldn't believe. And mercy, remember, is extending kindness. Now, I've got a bunch of students right here in front of me, so I don't want you guys to respond. Okay, you don't have to respond. Everybody got that? Okay, students, you got that? Don't respond. Everybody here who's ever been a junior or a senior in high school, did you ever make a crisis and you didn't know how to get out of it? Oh, come on, raise your hands, you're in church, right? I mean, we all did, didn't we? All right, so first of all, to the students, what I wanna say is you're gonna mess up. And when you mess up, you're gonna need somebody to give you mercy. Your parents may not be inclined to do that. But that's why one of the most important things in a student's life is to have an adult come in who's not part of their family and give them mercy and grace and listen to them and understand them. And that's what this woman was able to do. And so she took a group of high school students from about 10 to about 30 because the kids were desperate for mercy. So if you have the gift of mercy, what should you do? You should be merciful, be kind. Now, we've covered the whole landscape of the passage, a lot of teaching here, what should you do? If you're not a follower of Jesus, first step, accept Jesus as Savior. Actually take that step and say, I want to know Jesus. I want him to forgive my sins. I want him to come into my life. I'm willing to follow him. Now, if you've already taken that step, if you're already on this first rung, while you're here, you then need to say, and God, show me my spiritual gift. You'll say, how do I find out? I mean, you've talked about all these clay, and I'm still not sure. Some of you, when I was talking about it, someone rang, some of you don't know, in the booklet you received when you came in today about all the ministry opportunities we have, there's a QR code. Looks like this. Yay, okay. You'll notice it down in the corner there. Here it is. You can take a picture of that. You can, you can use it. Take the picture there. It will lead you to a spiritual gifts inventory. Take the inventory. What the inventory will do is identify two or three key spiritual gifts that you have, and you can begin to explore what those mean. Because I want to tell you, it would be a real shame to get to the end of your life and have an unopened gift. Wouldn't it be a lot better for you if you open that gift from Jesus and find out what your purpose in life is. Let's pray.
God, thank you for giving every one of us a purpose. Now, God, for those who don't know Jesus, I pray that they would accept him as Savior and Lord so they could actually learn what their spiritual gift is and then learn their purpose. And God, for all of us who are Christians and we're really out of touch with our spiritual gift, would you open up our eyes, use that inventory to illuminate our souls, and then God, help us to embrace our purpose and to do it and to live it. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.